0: Welcome to Bible Study. This is Len, standing in for Nick, who's been assigned to do some other uh, radio work for a month or roundabout. We hope you enjoy this series of studies, which is commencing today, about sharing our faith with other people. But before we get into this, I'd like to introduce the panel. And Harvey hasn't been with us for a while. Welcome, Harvey.
1: Well,
2: thanks, Lynn, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you, and, well, we're glad to have you back again. Would be good to be in your company, folks.
0: And Ken, all the way from the other side of Gawler. Mm. Pleasure to be here today. Thank you. And Helen, also up near Gawler.
3: It's a delight. I'm looking forward to this study today, and I pray that the listeners will gain much through our panel discussion.
0: And Ledger, who's closer to the hills than what we are.
4: Yes, I'm very grateful to be here to study God's Word.
0: All right. The theme we're going to share over the next 12 or 13 weeks is about sharing our faith and hope with other people. Now, just imagine for a moment, put yourself in a situation where you've just popped down the street to the nearest service station to tank up with fuel not far from the end of your street there's a fallen power wire what would you do about it knowing that your partner or friend or someone who's special to you will be passing by that point in a few minutes well if it was me i'd phone them and let them know what to expect or perhaps you discover that a nearby service station was selling fuel at half the normal price would you keep that information to yourself or would you let others know so they can have the benefits of your discovery? You know, there is good news for everyone in this tired old world and God has given his followers the task of sharing that special and wonderful information with other people. As your Bible study panel for this week, we accept the privilege and responsibility of of sharing that good news with you so it's all about good news today but before we actually begin this study i'm going to invite helen to pray for us as the panel and for you as listeners
3: thank you mean let's pray loving heavenly father yes we want to thank you for the privilege of sharing you and the responsibility of sharing you the good news with other people Father, we just pray that people today will see you in, in the light of your your love and your forgiveness, uh, your mercy and your compassion and your power. And, Father, I just pray that as we study today that our hearts can be lifted more towards you. Father, we just want to thank you for this time that we have and the lessons that we can learn, and we ask for your blessing on us as a panel and on our listeners today. In thy name, amen. Amen.
0: Thank you, Helen. Well, we're talking about good news. I hey, can. What in a nutshell is that good news? Well, then to explain that one a little bit simpler from God's
5: word, we're going to look at first Timothy chapter two and verses three and four. And I'm reading from the King James Version. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who will have all men to be saved and to come on to the knowledge of the truth." Now, I believe this is an incredibly powerful and amazing verse here because irrespective of where you are standing in this world, irrespective of what you have done, good or bad, irrespective of how you feel about yourself, God is doing his utmost to save you and wants him in the kingdom and is calling out to everyone, every man, woman, and child on the face of this earth. No one is restricted to heaven.
0: Well, what about, say, criminals in prison? Does God want them to be saved? God is looking for everyone to be saved. I understand
5: there are many criminals in prison who have done some terrible, terrible things, but we have to remember that the earth is a battleground for good and evil, And unfortunately, many of these people that have done terrible crimes have been led unknowingly into evil acts. And uh, it's not, I believe, what they really want to do. But Satan and all the weapons he has at his disposal gets them to commit terrible things. But God still wants every man,
0: woman, and child on the face of the earth to be in heaven. Yes, that's really lovely that God is a God who cares no matter what a person has done. Well, some people, of course, don't know about God. Some people have never read his word. Harvey, how does God reveal himself to mankind?
1: Well, in fact, God has many methods which he uses to reveal himself to mankind, and he has done it many times directly through visions, through dreams, through Just direct speaking to people, angelic beings appearing and giving a message as shown in the Bible in a number of places through miracles and through his word. We study his word constantly, which is really good, and that's one way that God speaks to us. He also speaks to us through what he has created. We recognise God's love in the beauty that we find around us. It's not all bad yet, but it's certainly not as good as it was when it came from the hand of the Creator. But God reveals himself to us in so many ways. And just through our friends, we can be told about God. People that we meet by chance can actually introduce us to some aspect of God, and each one of them, can have an influence on us. So nobody is exempt from the fact that God has some influence on their lives if they are willing to accept it.
0: Yes, of course, what you've just said there is very important because some people um, are biased right from the beginning. But God tries to reach people in many, many different ways. Now, we're talking about God doesn't want anybody to perish. Can man save himself?
1: Absolutely not. Um, in fact, it's because man cannot save them, ourselves that Jesus came to die on Calvary's cross.
0: All right. Well, yeah.
1: To save ourselves, that would all be unnecessary. It doesn't matter whether we've got money or prestige or power or position, anything that we perhaps hold up as being something good, none of that is any good as far as our salvation is concerned. Our salvation is only through Jesus Christ.
0: So when we talk about save, what does it actually mean?
1: Well, to be saved, of course, is what we said earlier isn't in that we don't want anybody to be missing out when Jesus returns to take us to the kingdom. That's the ultimate salvation. The final salvation, we can say, is that it will be when Jesus comes, he will take us back to the place he's prepared for us. All right. Uh, legit.
4: To save others, it means to accept a chance to throw a rope to someone who is in need. It doesn't matter about the situation. So, me is the one to have the willingness to hand up the rope to the other person.
5: I I think this again is, is a very important thing. I think to be saved means to be with Jesus and to be in the new kingdom because as we all see this, earth is a complete mess and it's definitely getting worse. And God has made a new home for everyone in the new kingdom. And we're all looking forward to getting to that place and learning the wonderful things that God hasn't shown us yet. And there's just so much more to living that mankind doesn't know about. But when Jesus comes back, those had a, those people that, who have accepted Jesus will be able to experience all these things.
0: I believe and understand it was God's plan at creation that mankind should live forever. But, of course, mankind sinned and the penalty for sin was death to be saved and all those things you've just said are really good but to be saved means to have eternal life which was God's original plan and if we accept the conditions we can have that again ledger and then Heller.
4: in james uh, chapter 5 verse 20 says he Who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death. If I have the chance to tell a person that he's done a mistake and to turn his way in the right way, it means I have an opportunity to save that soul from falling in a pit, from doing a sin, from doing something wrong.
0: Okay. Now, in view of the fact that mankind can't save itself, God did something about it. Helen?
3: I was just thinking about what Lydia just said. Uh, We have the opportunity of leading someone, yes, but it is only Jesus who, who actually saves us. And in 1910, it says here, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That was his primary reason, because we lost out because of sin, Death came into this this world and Jesus came to take our penalty. And let me just also say, as we were talking earlier, a person is not saved because of a good heritage or condemned by a bad one. Faith is more important than genealogy. Jesus came to save all the lost, regardless of their background or previous way of life. And through faith, the lost can be forgiven and made news. In fact, Romans 10 states it well. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise God. He came to save us.
2: Yes, thank you. Will? About the um, question of man saving himself, I remember Billy Graham writing, the age-old issue, can a man save himself or does he need God, is still raging across the world as furiously as ever. As long as the world goes on, people will build towers of Babel, fashion their graven images, and invent their own ideologies. Now, as in every period of history, people think that they can manage without God. But down underneath the surface of rational man is a vacuum, a void that can only be met through Jesus Christ. And the most astounding fact of all history is that a great and almighty God of heaven can live in your heart. made no difference who you are. Christ in you is your hope of glory. Amen. Yes, did you want to say something?
4: I would like to say that my part in saving others is my human work because I am and we are God's link in the plan of plan of salvation to reach lost people uh, with the glory of the gospel. But Jesus is there to save people through his blood, through his death, and through his plan of salvation that God took the initiative in our salvation. So our work and my work is to cooperate joyfully with him in his work of saving lost people on this earth.
0: Okay, thank you. And and when we talk about lost, well, how are the
2: lost lost? (laughs) I think by sheer neglect, after such a great uh, promise and offer by God for salvation and eternal life, it's possible to shrug our shoulders to that invitation. It makes me think of, um, of Jesus or God's word about Israel, his church, which really represents us as well. That's Israel, of course, of old. He, he of Israel he declared um, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me in a corrupt and wild vine? He says he testifies in uh, Hosea ten verse one Israel was a spreading vine, he brought forth fruit for himself. Israel is an empty vine, he bringeth forth fruit unto himself. And then lastly, in Isaiah 5, verse 3 and 4, he says, Now you people of Jerusalem and Judah, you judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I have not already done? When I expect sweet grapes, did my vineyard give me bitter grapes? The lost are lost by rejecting contact with God and becoming bitter and um, and reject as God describes in His Word here.
0: Yes. Now, I know I've led you read one of these verses before, but this is a rather interesting thing. We're talking about sharing the good news of salvation with other people. And those of us who've heard and responded to that good news, we would normally call ourselves Christians. Are there any rewards, Ken, for? Leading sinners to Christ for, say, you and me as we share the good news with others? Well, there are many,
5: many rewards, many of which we will not see till Jesus comes back. But just looking again at uh, James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So there is great reward not only for us because we have saved someone. It comes back to what you said, Len, at the very start when you knew there might be a problem in the road uh, a little distance from you and you knew friends might be taking that same path as you You'd want to warn them, and we are in a very, very blessed situation where we have the truth, we know God's word, we know what's happening in the world, and we know that Jesus is our saviour, and it's only natural that we would want to save our fellow man from we know what's coming. Yes,
0: there is a satisfaction, I believe, in helping other people, and particularly if it's a life and death issue. I, uh, in my Earlier life, we used to live down near the River Murray. And my dad wasn't much of a swimmer. And one day we were out in the boat. This is in the actual river, not in the nearby swamps. And dad decided he was going to swim about 35 metres or so to shore. And uh, so he jumped out of the boat. And when he was about halfway, I could see that he was in trouble. There was a lot of splashing and not a great deal of forward movement. So I jumped out of the boat and I swam up to him and I said, Dad, just, just rest, just rest on me for a while. Put your arm on my shoulder and rest. And then we slowly went in. And I actually felt quite happy that I had saved my dad's life when he might have drowned or perhaps nearly drowned otherwise. So there is satisfaction in sharing the good news with other people.
5: I'd just like to add to that, I I don't know how other people feel, but I'm sure it may be similar, but I know any time we have the opportunity, I have the opportunity to to share the gospel with someone, irrespective of how they take it or respond to it. The feeling I have inside is just overwhelming joy.
0: Yes, I don't think we should do it because of the, the jollies we get from it. But that's a byproduct of sharing the good news of salvation with other people. We don't witness to give people their only chance to be saved. We witness to give them their best chance. Ledger, I know you've got something you are very happy to share with us.
4: Has anyone ever asked you how is your day going? Or is everything all right with you today? What if you ask? God, those questions. God, how is your day going? What kind of response do you think you would receive? Possibly it would be one like this. My day has been extremely difficult. Tears filled my eyes. At 1,000 refugees' camps filled with cold, hungry, crying children. I walked the streets of the world, crowded cities, and wept, with homeless and destitute. My heart breaks over abused women and frightened children sold into sexual slavery. I witness the ravages of war, the devastating effects of natural disasters and the painful agony of debilitating deadly diseases. Would you respond back by asking, but God, is there anything that makes you rejoice? Is there anything that brings joy to your heart? Is there anything that makes you sing?
0: All right. Now, at the end of that, we have some parables in the Bible found in Luke chapter 15 about certain things that were lost. Mm. And remember this question that Lydia just asked, if she could speak to God. Is there anything that brings joy to your heart? Is there anything that makes you sing? Harvey, would you like to take up the story in Luke 15 and share with us?
1: Yes, Luke 15, verses 8 to 10, is telling us a story, I suppose we could say, about a lost coin. Let me read it to you. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbours together, saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. I find this little story a fascinating story that By saving a lost sinner, we're causing pleasure in heaven. People are happy because another sinner has been saved. And I think the fact that we know that that can be um, partly because of what we have done gives us joy as well, without a doubt.
0: Yeah. Now, Luke 15 is about three losts.
3: I'd just like to add to what Harvey was just saying, you know, the joy that we also see. I remember studying with my nephew and I saw him just growing in his love for the Lord. And then he decided to be baptized. And when he went under the water of baptism, showing that inwardly he had given his life to Christ, when he came out, I, I had tears running down my face. There is nothing to compare. I don't believe there's anything to compare. Um, with bringing a soul to Christ, allowing the Lord to work in their life, witnessing to them, and then the joy of seeing them give their life completely to the Lord—there's it, just there's no nothing to compare at all, Lena, And I think you've seen that too.
0: Yes, well, it's a double it's a double barrel joy. And at the moment, we're concentrating on is there anything that brings joy to God's heart? Is there anything that makes Him sing? Now, Luke 15 is about three loss. Harvey read to us about the lost coin. There's two other losts in this um, chapter. Will, would you like to comment about the results of what happened when
2: the lost became found? Yes, I think primary to this whole thing is the joy that we bring to our Father's heart, even though there's joy that we have to see others Uh, except the Lord Jesus Christ, God rejoices. You know, Luke 15, verse 7 and 32, uh, speaks about that joy. It says, uh, Luke 15, verse 7, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And then in verse 32 it says, It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found, speaking about the lost son there. But clearly here, um, the greatest joy that we should have is uh, not only the saved soul, but that we're bringing joy to the father's heart.
0: Yes. When you think about what God has done, to save lost sinners it hasn't been an insignificant thing has it the fact that Jesus gave up all the glory that he had in heaven came down to this miserable planet filled with miserable people if I can put it that way and he was despised and rejected but he did that for the joy that could be had in heaven when people responded to God's kind act. Ken? Again, I just find it totally amazing
5: that uh, what actually does go on in heaven when a sinner does turn to the Lord, and I think we forget that there's actually millions and millions of angels and whatnot in heaven. It's a really big place, and it says that uh, all heaven rejoices when the lost are found. In a world filled with disease, disaster and death, we can bring joy to the heart of God by sharing the good news of salvation with others. One of the greatest motivations to share Christ's love is the knowledge that witnessing brings joy to the heart of God. Every time we reveal his love, all of heaven sings. Absolutely. absolutely amazing what goes on. So
0: there's actually more to it. It's not just when a sinner turns to God that heaven has joy, but we also bring joy to the heart of God when we, as his representatives, share the good news of salvation with other people. If we sit on all that information, it doesn't do much good. But when we share it, it does give pleasure to God, gives pleasure to us too. Now, what did Jesus say about being saved, Helen?
3: Actually, he, he gave us some amazing words. I could just imagine in, um, in John 7, in uh, verses 37 and 38, it starts off by saying, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood up and shouted to the crowds. That alone tells me he had something important to say. You know, the Pharisees have been trying to trip him up all the way along, and here he was at this festival and he wanted their attention and his words were anyone who is thirsty may come to me anyone who believes in me may come and drink for the scripture declare rivers of living water will flow from the heart you know and you might well say well what's what's jesus actually alluding to here there are lots of bible passages that that talk about the messiah's life-giving blessings you know when we come to him and he's promising the holy spirit to all who believe, and Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah for that was something only he could do. And he used the term living water. I used to think that was part of our our job when we um, came to Christ, that the water would flow from us, the Holy Spirit, out to other people. But in doing some study onto that, he was actually indicating eternal life. He uses a term to refer to the Holy Spirit. The two go together. Wherever the Holy Spirit is accepted, he brings eternal life. And I just think that's a beautiful passage that he's saying, come, come to me, and and you can have all this.
0: As his witnesses, we must not try to think that people should come to us. We're actually only signposts, signposts to say this is the way to Jesus. He is the way of salvation, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. Ledger, what did the Apostle Peter say about how someone can be saved?
4: In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Apostle Peter says that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. So salvation is found only in Jesus Christ.
0: Yes. Now, it's quite interesting that we're having this study this week because yesterday there was a documentary-type film that was made about a group of people in uh, United States, in Utah. They had some connection with the Mormon Church. I don't think they were mainstream Mormons, but they had some connection with the Mormon Church, and they accepted a man as their prophet. Now, this man was doing all sorts of things. He was saying, God told me that you should do this. God told me that we should get rid of all our TVs and radios and anything that's colored red and we should shoot our dogs. I tell you, it's it nearly makes your hair stand on end to just hear what this prophet so-called prophet, told the people and they believed him. Well, he had a number of wives and some of them are underage and eventually the police caught up with him and he his life imprisonment even admitted that he wasn't a prophet but the people continued to believe. Life imprisonment and there's about 10,000 people in this group who believe that he is still their prophet, although he's in jail. Now, it seems that some of these groups, a leader, becomes their God. But our job as witnesses is not to draw attention to ourselves, but to be signposts to draw people's attention to the God who loves them. Well, what kind of attitude should we, as Christian disciples,
2: have toward other people? Clearly, when Jesus comes into the heart, he changes us, that we are not the same as we are before. And um, it's well demonstrated in a little portion in Luke, Luke chapter 6, verses 35 to 38. It says, love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for... He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over um, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you.
0: So when I see somebody, perhaps, and they look all scruffy and half their teeth are missing and they smell of alcohol and nicotine, what should be my attitude toward that person? The love of Christ would constrain us, I think. Do I write that person off? Uh, I
5: think then we should look at that person with pity and understanding. And if we could do something for them, we should do. But always remembering that we are where we are and have what we have by the grace of God. Yes. Legend?
4: Jesus is looking into the heart, into the soul of people. Jesus feels pity of everyone, so we should do the same. We should feel pity of every every person and Try as much as possible in our own possibilities to help the pe- people to regain a normal life and um, as much as we can to do everything possible in our uh, abilities to do for them. Yes. Love Harvey. and love
1: people. Okay. Harvey. No matter what the condition of the person is, we should recognize in them a person who Jesus came to die for. He Came to die for the, not just the people that are presentable, but he came to die for the people which are almost the unlovable, even though God himself loves everyone.
2: Yes, well. You know, seeing in other people worth is a wonderful uh, thing to develop through the Christian faith. Seeing other people as candidates for heaven. I can't get over the fact that um, when Moses was leading the people of Israel, he was so concerned about their rejection, um, the people that he serves, that he goes to God and he pleads their pardon. And then he goes on to say something very interesting. This selfless comment, he says, but now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. Moses' concern for others is so intense that he would forego eternal life to offer the chance to others. You know, I've heard parents say, my child is so sick, I wish I could rather swap places with him or her, and that that I could be sick instead and let my child be happy and healthy. You know, it's called substitution. I think if we could look upon other people as dearly loved by God, we would have a different attitude toward them and really desire that they to find the Lord.
3: I concur absolutely with what we're saying, but I think the reality is that we say these words, but in reality, do we really follow through? And and sadly, I've actually seen even even Christians have turned away when they see somebody that's not quite um, looking as they are I think it's a judgment that we tend to do and and God says he judges the heart we don't know why that person is in that circumstance and I think we have to remember there was a saying that said but for the grace of God go I if if we were to actually walk in their moccasins how would we want to be treated you know and it may not be for reasons of themselves that they have ended up in that situation and we we don't know that and if he asks you to end up putting your arms around someone, not in the COVID, you know, restriction time, but you know what I mean, then we, we need to do it. We need to do it for us as well as them, oh. you know, but be sincere about it, love them. I'm <clears throat> I'm going to commend Will here in that I've been door knocking with Will and I see the love that he has for people coming through. He's not out there to grandiose him himself, and I don't mean to embarrass you, Will, but I've been with other people and I've seen them going and saying, oh, we want these people in our church and it's numbers. But I've seen the love coming through and people respond to that love. And I think we need to do that too. We need to be so in love with our Saviour that it flows through us to other people.
5: Okay. So I just wanted to say, I have mentioned this before, but it's something that I do think about a fair bit And that. was a program run uh, recently, Filthy Rich and Homeless, and I find this an amazing program, which gives an in-depth look at the reality of homeless people. And we often see it so often walking down the street, see someone who appears to be homeless or in in not good situations, and the majority of people completely ignore them and walk past them. But watching this show, obviously the people, that, uh, I think it was about six or seven people who uh, put themselves in this situation for 10 days to see what the other side of the point is like. And these people were extremely well off. They had basically everything life could offer in many cases, but yet they were totally ignored by everyday people. And it's just sad to see that many of the people, when you heard the stories of those that were actually living on the street, were just like the rest of us, but through circumstances out of their control, they ended up in the streets, so we certainly should
0: not judge them. Mm. I've been challenged a little bit by what I've seen on the news lately with the Black Lives Matter demonstrations. Mm. And I think to myself, some of those people in these demonstrations, not just the Black Lives Matter, but often demonstrations, people go a bit haywire and they do looting and stuff like that, what's my reaction to them? They uh, need, uh, some them need a little bit of discipline, but it's not for me to judge them in relation to their eternal life. However, you want to say something? Then we must move from this point.
1: Yes. I think that we should all understand very clearly that if we see somebody that is what we call the down and out, we should understand that there, but for the grace of God, goes I mm. we don't know that it would not be us if our situation was different.
3: I know we want to race on, just quickly add to what ken Ken was saying, and Harvey, I remember there was a man in the street. I was directed to go and see him, and he lived he slept in a rotunda in the town, and um i I had one lady say, "If you're a Christian, why aren't you helping him?" And the next time I saw him, I went up to him and offered him, we had some food parcels left over, and he lifted up his trolley and he said, I have got plenty. And he was one of these people that actually chose to go out and sleep in the rotunda. He had a house, but he actually watched what people did. And um, I I just thought that was quite amazing.
0: It is. What have been your experiences in witnessing to others praying with others and ministering to the needs of others and how those experiences impacted on your own faith and your walk with the Lord. So, Lydia, you can do one and maybe somebody else would like to do another one.
4: I have quite a few experiences when I impressed people by um, praying together for them and initiating the prayer, initiating the help for them. And actually they were so impressed, impressed to the tears. And uh, I said to them that uh, it's in my nature to help people, and it is in my nature to show them love and uh, give them help as much as is in my possibilities to help, because I love Jesus and Jesus loves me, and my heart is full of love for everybody in need. So quite a few times it happened to me that I had these experiences.
0: Yes, people usually feel impressed that you would take the trouble to pray with them, mm. to share with them, to help them. I know some people will outright reject the good news of salvation, but there are many others who don't know it, who uh, would love to have. Does anybody else got something to share there? Harvey, what determines a Christian's loyalty to Christ?
1: It shows by what we do, our commitment, how we present ourselves as far as what God is concerned. If they, we recognise that we need a saviour, then that's one of the things that shows our loyalty to Christ. If we are willing to accept that we have a need. Another thing that shows is obedience, that we will follow what the Lord asks us to do. And so if we're willing to do what is required of us, then that shows that we are, in fact, on God's side.
0: Yes. This is something that really bothers me. Amongst some of my Protestant friends, some of them are really lovely people and yet there are certain things which are as clear as daylight in the gospel of what they should, uh, in the Bible of what they should do. But they seem to be able to ignore that somehow. I couldn't do that. I've got to do what God wants me to do. Lydia, you wanted to say something.
4: So what determines a Christian's loyalty to Christ? First of all, if I love the Lord and the Lord loves me, and my heart is full of God's love, there's, it's impossible for me not to share with others. You know, if my heart overflows, I have to to give not only drops of that love to other people, because if I if I receive joy from the Lord, I have to share with others the love, the joy the good things that ha- happens to me so when something good is happening with, with me it's impossible not to share with others
0: okay all right now helen uh, in 1st timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through to 6 the apostle paul gives some instructions to christians in efforts to reach people with the gospel would you like to share with us about that
3: Prior to that, I'd like to add on to what Lucia was saying. We not only have to obey what's in Scripture, we have to obey when the Holy Spirit prompts us. And uh, that tells me we need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, even though at the time we may not think it's the right timing. But it's amazing, and I've seen that in my own life, how the timing is God's timing and it's God's appointment. And I always come away feeling, I go, wow, I feel like I'm walking on water. But prior to that, I I take heed of the instruction given here in 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 6. And, well, I think the word that jumps out at me in these six verses is the word pray. He's saying here that we need to pray not only just for um, people around us, we need to also pray for the authorities of the world. It goes deeper because Christ came to save everyone. Not everyone, of course, will be saved, but that is because it's a choice. The Bible makes it clear that many will reject Christ. But prayer, prayer is something we think, sometimes we think, oh, why are we praying? You know, what good does it do? And and it's a mystery, really. But And God, of course, is all-powerful and knowing. But he has chosen us to let us help him change the world through our prayers. And to me, that's a, that's an amazing thing that he's invited us to cooperate with us and as i said how it works is a mystery because of our limited understanding but it is a reality and i've seen this working in lives in many many lives and and i believe that that paul based his instruction about prayer to everyone on his conviction that god's invitation for salvation extends equally to all people so even if we feel we can't go out to people we can't it might be because we're we're in sickness or whatever We can pray, and it is so important. And then in praying, we are coming closer to God too, and then we're more in tune with the Holy Spirit. And when we're prompted through that to ring someone, um, to send a message, or maybe if you're able to go to that person, we're doing the work that God called us to do because he's asked us to cooperate with him. That's just, to me, that's awesome. You're talking about the king of heaven here, and, and he wants us to
4: partner with him. Because he doesn't want anybody lost. Intercessory prayer in the Bible it says that Jesus is praying for us. So the same thing we have to pray for others. Intercessory prayers makes wonders.
2: Well, I wanted to say that First uh, Timothy two verses one to six that was read. What stands out for me is that uh, God our Saviour desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Yes.
0: Now, what did the Apostle Paul do about that, Ken? He said, whereon to I am ordained a preacher
5: and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith, and surely. So here he is saying that he is a teacher and it's his job to tell others about
0: Jesus. Yes. Yes. You may remember that uh, the Apostle Paul was once named... Saul, the Pharisee, who was quite an intellectual person. And when he had an encounter with Jesus, his life turned around. And instead of being a self-centered intellectual, he became a servant to bring others to Christ. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. What does Isaiah 49 verse 6 say, Lydia, And who is it referring to?
4: It says here, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So here Christ is referring to Israel. They have to be a light for for the Gentiles. It means for those who didn't know Jesus. And it says here that it's so hard for you, it's too small, I think, for you to be my servant, to, to bring back those who don't know me, and to, to be a light, to bring my salvation. And also there is a verse in John, chapter 8, verse 12, where it says that Jesus spoke to the people, and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life so Jesus is is telling us that we are the light of the world and the light is shining in darkness so we have to be the, the, the light for everyone around us because in this way through being a light we witnessing for God
0: Jesus called himself the light of the world mm. ancient Israel was to be the light yes. bearing the knowledge of God with um, the rest of the world. They basically failed in their commission. Christ referred to himself as the light of the world, but the Bible, he also says that someone else are uh, lights.
1: Would you like to share that with us? Yes, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. He was speaking to the disciples and to others that were there with him. But he said, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So in other words, we should be obvious to people that we are in fact light that is to be spread and that we can be seen by men. In fact, we are told that sometimes the only Bible that some people will be reading is us.
0: Yes. Well, on one occasion, I, in the, give um, me the Bible programs that I do, I prepared a talk about the purpose of the church. And there are different purposes of the church, but what is one of the main purposes of the church, in your opinion?
3: We are to be outward looking as well as inward looking. Nurturing and sharing. The church
0: is there to be a witness for people who don't have the knowledge of the saving grace of God.
3: Can I just say, Len, that it's a bit like the Dead Sea? I think you've done something on the Dead Sea before and how the water flows into it but it doesn't flow out. It became stagnant. And I believe that in our Christian lives, if the grace of God is flows into our lives, it doesn't flow out to others, we too become stagnant and all but lifeless like the Dead Sea. And it's Christian, that's not how we're meant to be.
0: Yeah. do you?
4: The Church of Christ, the Church of Jesus, is set up to be a light in the world. So... We, as we are followers of Jesus, we have to become intensely interested in the salvation of others. And we grow in the same time as we share with others that Christ has done what Christ has done in our lives. If we don't share, we don't grow. Because if we don't have, we are like a a fruit tree and it's overflowing. So it's showing that it's full of, 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 uh, of, of fruits. It's it's very fruitful. So from those fruits, people are sharing around and eat that fruit. So we have to do exactly the same.
5: Okay. Okay. Yes, I I think, uh, summing that up, I would put it this way. We are to be the resemblance of Jesus. We have to have the eyes that see, the mouth speaks the good news, the feet that walk to tell people the news,
0: and the hands to help others. Yes. Well, through our history, witnessing for Christ's sake has cost Christians their homes, in some cases their livelihood, in some cases their families, possessions and even lives. Why would they put themselves at such risks to share the gospel message?
5: I, I think Leonard comes back to love And I believe that the Christians who have the light of God can see deeper than the people in the world and see a lot of things that most people in the world do not see. And they realise this life is only temporary, and to share the gospel is the greatest thing you can do, irrespective of consequences.
2: Yes. Then there is a good there is a good uh, answer in uh, Second Corinthians chapter five. which says in verse 4, the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. I think that God, through Jesus Christ, compels us to share the wonderful good news. And people are willing to do that at great loss to save other people or introduce them to Jesus. They can do it at any cost to themselves. I remember one writer writing about Jesus. He would save man at any cost to himself. That's our example. Yeah. Now, the Apostle Paul didn't just give advice.
0: It meant something special to him. And he gives a little bit of his experience in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. Helen, would you just like to share that with us?
3: Yes, I'd love to. 2 Corinthians 6, 4 to 6. He actually says, in everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness by the Holy Spirit within us. You know, when I think of what Paul went through and what a lot of people go through, and they still stand for Christ. Paul also, while he was in prison, he wrote an epistle and it was all about joy. But I think he realised that his current circumstances weren't as important as what he did with them. You know, he witnessed, and I believe that when we truly recognise the immense sacrifice Christ has made for us, we're overwhelmed by his love and compelled to share with others what he's done for us, just as Paul did. I think really it's a choice we have, isn't it? We can become bitter because of our circumstances and say, why, why, why? Or we can rejoice in the Lord and say, why not?
0: Yes. All right, well... Um, I know there's this beautiful statement about the Apostle Paul. Lydia, would, would you like to share that with us?
4: It says here that Paul was motivated by love. And um, the love of Christ constrained us. It means it's urging us, impel, control or highly motivate. So love must dwell in our heart a failure to share what Christ has done for us and to minister to others struggles genuine spiritual life, but witnessing places us in touch with the heart of the one who longs for all humanity to be saved. So when we truly recognize the immense sacrifice Christ has made for us, we are overwhelmed by his love and compelled to share with others what he has done for us.
0: All right. Well, that sums it up very nicely. Listeners, this study has mainly focused on witnessing to others. However, we must never lose sight of what that witness is about. It is about God who demonstrates his great love for human beings. Those sinners, Christ died for us. God took the initiative for our salvation. Before we made even one step towards God, he took a giant leap toward us. At tremendous personal cost, Christ left the glory and splendour of heaven and came to this sin-affected planet to redeem lost people. And if that's not good news, I don't know what is. Now we're going to close with prayer. And Ken, thank you for praying for us and our listeners. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this opportunity today to share this wonderful
5: message of witness. Heavenly Father, help each and every one of us to take on the very nature of Christ in word and deed and to help others where we see and whatever way we can. It is so important, Heavenly Father, to share this wonderful news with others as we see that wonderful day of Jesus approaching. time is short. Help us all, Lord God, to do the very best we can and uphold those things that are important to Jesus.
0: In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, thank you, everybody, for sharing and listening today. And listeners, be sure to
5: tune in again.